1: welcome to the mississippi arts hour on mpb think radio where each week we talk to a musician artist author or other creative mississippian working in the arts across the state i'm your host melody moody thortis director of grants at the mississippi arts commission and today i'm speaking with leah kemp director of the fred carl jr small town center at mississippi state university in starkville leah thank you so much for joining us on the arts hour thank you for having me melody Well, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work at the Small Town Center, can you give a a brief overview and kind of introduce yourself to our listeners?
0: Sure. I'm Leah Kemp. I'm the director of the Small Town Center. We are actually a community design center within the School of Architecture at Mississippi State. So we provide design and planning services for communities all over our state and we also research issues and challenges that small towns are facing
1: fantastic well tell me a little bit about um you know your journey to where you are now so let's start with with, with where did you grow up
0: um, well my journey is is circular <laughs> in, a, in a way um, I actually grew up here in Starkville and um, Never thought I would find my way back here, but I am here and very thankful to be here. But I grew up uh, here in Startville and, um, I, you know, my dad used to take me to um, Giles Hall, which is the School of Architecture where our office is now. And we used to um, come up here and look at all the projects in the building. And I kind of became fascinated with architecture in that way. Um, and so, through the years, uh, you know, pursued that interest and have wound up back here.
1: Now, was he a professor at the school, or was he an architect himself?
0: Uh, my dad was actually a professional photographer, and he worked for the university as the campus photographer, and for over thirty years. And so, um, he had a very creative, uh, you know, perspective to his work. Um, and that definitely uh, influenced me growing up.
1: That's so interesting that he would take you, especially to the future location of where your <laughs> office is now. I know. Oh, that's fantastic. And then as you decided to get more serious about studying architecture, tell me about wh- like where you went to school and what, what that was like and kind of, I'm interested to hear like what inspired you to go in that direction?
0: Yeah, I I guess I didn't know that I was necessarily going to go in that direction. I really kind of wanted to be an artist growing up, um, too. So I had a real interest in the arts, and our local public schools here had a great art program and still does. And I had some great teachers support me throughout school. Um, And then I I really kind of wasn't sure what to make of my interest in becoming an artist and so um, I actually kind of looked into more I don't want to say practical fields but fields where I knew that I could maybe uh, more um, kind of pursue a a career that uh, could support me financially so I um, got my undergraduate degree in interior design at Virginia Tech And um, then I got my master's degree in architecture at Tulane. But, you know, I really kind of wanted to go out and experience other places. And so I could have studied here at Mississippi State and gotten an excellent education. But um, I really kind of wanted to explore other places. And so I did that and then um, wound up able to come back here.
1: Do you find and I know this was undergrad, but do you find that you use your interior design um, education in
0: any of the work that you do, or maybe in your personal life? Um, You know, I don't know if I use that as much. I mean, I think just kind of design education in general, whether it's Mm -hmm. interior design or architecture, definitely serves me well. I mean, um, if you come to my house, you would, not know that i have either degree (laughs) Uh, but you know i think if if you look at my professional work you can understand my interests but um yeah
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense design as a whole it's always just interesting to me how people who you know whose career is in or make their living in design often come to it from a lot of different directions Mm -hmm. you know some in graphic design like you said interior design etc and it, and it looks different later. So so that's always just been a, a curiosity of mine, I guess you could say, of how that love for design plays out.
0: Yeah, I think part of it is, you know, like I said, growing up, I, I thought I wanted to be a, an artist, like an illustrator, you know. Um, and But I didn't really know where to go with that. And so in a way, I think my two degrees have kind of helped me explore um, different paths for how to kind of channel my interests.
1: So I know you have a lot of interests and a lot of projects that you work on, but what what would you say about some of the work that you do that, that inspires you the most?
0: Um, I think, you know, being able to go into a community and help solve multiple problems challenges for them is really, um, really rewarding. And it's not necessarily us coming in and, you know, giving solutions to problems for the community. It's really working with the community to kind of cull out their needs and wants and dreams and then kind of piecing all those things together um, to be able to help them in a number of different ways and so I think people are often surprised that you know they think that we are architects and planners and that we are only here to kind of help beautify a community and honestly that's probably one of the last things that we do in some ways because you know I look at our work as kind of problem solving and really um, kind of connecting the dots within the community and Um, I think that's what's most rewarding is when we can kind of come in and help create a really innovative solution to something um, and multiple issues really within the community and I'll give you an example Um, in Marks, Mississippi, for instance, you know, we were partnering with them on a National Endowment for the Arts grant to find a way to commemorate Dr. King's visit there in the late 60s, the start of the civil rights movement and start of um, the Mule Train campaign that began in Marks. And, you know, our sole challenge was to find a way to commemorate that. And the community said, you know, well, an obvious answer is to create a museum, you know? But we quickly found out that there were not enough artifacts um, to display in a museum. So we, we just, you know, kind of, worked with the community to um, uh, create a cultural trail there and so it's a biking walking trail, it's a multimodal trail where um, you know we focus on that cultural event and civil rights important event that happened there but you know who would have thought commemorating a civil rights event would, the resulting product would be a biking and walking trail right right (laughs) and so and it has many facets to it but to me that is what i enjoy the most um, working with communities is creating those innovative solutions and really you know creating something unique and specific with the community
1: well and we'll talk a little bit more about this um, in our later segments but for people who might be listening i mean this This, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, is like a self-guided tour that includes historical sites um, and other places. So is this something that people could do um, in this age of social distancing, like take a tour? And I mean, I know it's starting to get cold, but be outside? and
0: Yeah, it's definitely a self-guided tour. Um, When you come into town, there's a big kind of welcome sign. And on the back of the welcome sign, there's a little um, map of the the route. And you know, it's actually perfect, um, a perfect activity during the pandemic, because, you know, I think as we've seen across the country, there's been a rise in kind of local tourism or regional tourism. And so this is the kind of the perfect opportunity to be able to go and explore.
1: So, you know, we were talking about working with communities, right? And I I wanna kind of break that down. There's a philosophy that looks at the quote-unquote community as expert, right? And so there's an interesting dichotomy of communities in this type of work looking to the experts and the experts looking at the community to Mm -hmm. be the expert on themselves, right? So I know that that's kind of a vague <laughs> um, description, but because you're involved in this work, I, I just wonder if you could speak to that from your perspective, I know you have in some ways, but it's it's a conversation that I find myself having when I'm working with a community to say, we are here to guide, we are here to you know facilitate, to have conversations, to offer potential solutions. But you, as a community member, ultimately have the specific experience and nuance
0: and stories. Right. And I think for us, in some ways, it's even more challenging in the work that we do. And you can probably relate to this, too, since we're kind of a statewide-based, you know, um, focus. You know, we are not necessarily embedded in every community. Um So, I think, you know, engaging a community and understanding their needs is so different when, you know, your organization is within that community versus, you know, two hours down the road. Um, But, you know, I think one of the challenges for us or one of the exciting things, too, is really that every community is so different and, you know, whatever engagement method or methods work in one community you know they could completely backfire in another community and so really spending that time with those local champions and people who can you know help be that liaison between you and the and the rest of the community is so important
1: um i hate to put you on the spot about this but (laughs) but (laughs) but can you give an example of like just one community engagement methodology that you might implore um, knowing that as you said, it's it could be different. Just to give people an example of kind of the work we're talking about,
0: yeah. So I mean, there's kind of a um, a typical, you know, I think throughout the country, people could have you know a town hall meeting where you invite the whole community, and folks show up and you um, you know give a little presentation and ask for feedback and offer multiple opportunities for people to provide input. Um, You know we teach a class um, each year and part of that seminar class is teaching um, university students about engagement methodologies and so I think one of the really uh, fun things about that class is that students get to try out different ways of engaging the community and Mm -hmm. so to kind of test that out and see what might work and one year Um, we worked in a community and it was so small that really the main hub of the community was kind of a gas station and our students decided to make um, a a tablecloth if you will out of craft paper and they wrapped it around the tables in the gas station and put markers on there and asked you know wrote out certain questions what do you want to see in this community blah 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 and we got so many awesome responses Um, As you could probably imagine, some were appropriate to read, some were not. But um, we also got this wonderful kind of um, response or something. We we got a lot of grease stains on the tablecloths, if you will. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
0: it just kind of made the coolest kind of artistic graphic in itself.
1: Hi, I'm Melody Moody-Thortis, and you're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast. You can also hear the show on MPV Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. To hear all our conversations with creative Mississippians, be sure to subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast on your favorite podcasting app.
0: Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative Mississippians. Today, I'm speaking with director of the Fred Carl Jr. Small Town Center and architect Leah Kemp. So Leah, before the break, we started to talk a little bit about, you know, community work and what that looks like in this new environment. You know, people are exploring new ways to make projects happen to revive their communities all within the restraints of a pandemic and all that comes with it, virtual social distancing. So I'm curious, what has been your experience or what are your thoughts on community centric work in this new age of COVID?
0: Yeah. Um actually I think it's pretty exciting in some ways I mean I think you know there are the obvious hindrances with trying to communicate via zoom or whatever technology you're using but beyond that I mean I feel like um, there's just this great interest and creativity going on in our communities Um, and, and communities are really just more interested, I think, maybe now than in the recent past in terms of, you know, um, making some positive changes in their in their kind of uh, built environment. And, you know, by that, I mean, you know, I think there's kind of a, a new interest in like murals in communities, new interest in You know, how we access food, is it food trucks, these kind of creative, you know, um, opportunities I think are popping up and we're seeing a lot of inventive things.
1: uh, Leah, in the age of COVID, you know, people, particularly before the winter, right, they're really looking at outdoor spaces. So I'm curious, what examples have you seen or what experience have you had regarding ways that people are engaging outdoors
0: yeah I've seen um, you know in our local community people just gather at local parks not necessarily to play soccer or baseball but really just to kind of bring their folding chair and they sit down and have you know meetings with one another so we're seeing kind of these outdoor spaces become meeting rooms in some ways Um, you know obviously there's you know the huge interest in biking and walking these days but and we've seen that increase we've seen um, more bike racks installed around communities um but in terms of you know this approach to outdoor gathering obviously it's one of the safe ways to be able to get together and there's you know a great interest in that um you know we designed a streetery um, for the city of Startbull And the streetery is really just kind of a public shared space in a few parking spaces. And, you know, we've seen these pop up all around the country. Um, but I think these are great ways that communities are being really inventive with their public spaces. So, you know, parking spaces belong to everyone in the community and kind of blocking them off and providing seating and shade and probably in the winter, you know, outdoor heaters so that people can get together is a great way to kind of engage your public spaces maybe in a new way. Mm -hmm. You know, I think um, if you've ever traveled abroad, you know, um, in Germany for instance, you know, or Austria, you go there in the wintertime, And everyone is outside eating and having coffee Mm. at these local establishments. And I think um, that kind of energy that, you know, just because it's cold, just because it's outside doesn't stop them. And I think we're going to be seeing more of an interest in that here. I'm actually pretty excited about it because I feel like our climate, while some people think it is um, kind of overly oppressive in terms of heat sometimes. I think we do have a a fairly reasonable climate most of the year, and I'm excited to kind of see people outside using outdoor spaces more. Um, here locally that, um, you know, we have a little side street off of our downtown, and it's really not attractive. There's nothing special about it, but our community decided to block that off and um, at night. And so we can use it as a public space, a public gathering space for different events, socially distance events. And we help the community actually hang some, design some lighting, um, kind of string lighting over the street. And what's amazing to me is that now this little kind of nothing side street is a destination Mm. for people. And you know, the community actually passed a Go Cup ordinance. You can kind of um, shop at the local um, nearby restaurants, bring your food and beverage there and eat in that street at night. Um, and it's been great too, because um, it's kind of one of these new Instagram like selfie spots. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so people travel to this street just to kind of get their picture under the canopy of lights, you know, but, you know, it's, it's not a special street in any capacity, any means, but, um, you know, it's, it's been transformed with a little bit of money and creativity. And now it's something that people can use and they're thinking about their spaces differently.
1: You know, we, um, talk about things that people may have heard this term, even if they don't know what it is, but we talk about this idea of creative placemaking mm-hmm. and what you've described as like, you know, activating these areas is really part of what, you know, creative placemaking is, in my opinion. And it's interesting to hear that that places in the public space that you may not identify as important or valuable or standing out can then with a little intentionality become as you say a destination um it reminds me of a of an example in Georgia actually where a community had um I think they were like the poultry capital of the world and they took that fact about their community and they developed an entire marketing campaign about chickens and they, you know, painted their crosswalks and said, why did the chicken cross the road? <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and on and on, right? And T-shirts and, and and this place became a destination for these creative reasons that really was telling their story. Um, have you seen anything in addition to this alleyway that that struck you like that? Like, I've never forgotten that. yeah, I mean,
0: I think um, just in general, that whole concept of making or bringing specificity to a community and kind of making it your own is what we try and help communities with. And so I'm glad to hear your example. I I don't um, have a recent example of that, but um, I do know that we have actually written some grant applications recently with communities that are interested in really um, that type of work. You know, um, creating more um, specificity and bringing that history um, and culture of their community into the arts. Like one of the grants we just wrote was about um, kind of making uh, pedestrian connections within the community, but doing that through um, kind of a uh, an art artist project kind of painting the streets and intersections. And so I think we're starting to see communities really understanding that concept and wanting that for themselves.
1: Yeah, and something that, that I think about a lot and I hope that people listening, uh, will consider as well is the idea that these stories exist, you know, already in every community. And it, it's just a matter sometimes of creating a space for those stories to be told.
0: That's um, exactly right.
1: You know, you gave the example of the students basically just giving a, a place and a platform for the ideas to be, mm-hmm. to be placed, right? Right. <laughs> but you didn't necessarily have to pull those ideas out of people. All you did was give a place. I mean, not all, <laughs> but general. right. Um. So that's something, I guess, that's inspiring to me and that I hope people really recognize that those stories are there. We just have to give a space for them to be told.
0: Well, and that's a great point, too, Melody. I mean, I think, you know, in our work, one of the struggles throughout the years has been not just creating that space, but finding um, a diverse um, cross-section of the community to provide those stories, Right. Right. And so that is always the challenge is getting not just one segment of the population's input, but um, really trying to understand the whole community. And, you know, we have been really working on that lately, trying to develop some technologies where we can understand what our demographics are and who is participating in the community. And that really helps us go back and say, okay, who are we missing here? Who are we not hearing from? We've got to find a way to engage those people and, you know, get their opinions and feedback.
1: Yeah, you know, the Arts Commission, we've done some work really looking at this idea of bringing more voices to the table. Mm -hmm. And to, to your point, you know, having more Diversity in voices of all types, you know, really affects what the outcomes are, right? And the representation of the community itself. One thing I like to do when I'm facilitating community work is to have the people in the room tell us who's not there. Right. Right. Because they know who's not there. Yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) Yeah. And then I'll challenge them to say... Let's figure out a way to get them here, you know, at the next meeting and continuing to do that. That's just one method I've used. But I like that we are all trying to find new ways to make sure that the community itself is represented, um, you know, in all forms.
0: That's right. We're actually working on um, with Kimley Horn out of Memphis on the Startable Bike and Pedestrian Master plan. And we're currently, you know, conducting community engagement online via some surveys, map-based surveys, and then just kind of a Google um, form. But um, what we're seeing is that, you know, we've got a lot of wonderful input, but it's primarily from just one segment of the community. And Mm -hmm. so we know that the answers will be completely different if we get you know, everyone's input, and so, and like you said, the projects are really, um, or the, you know, impact for the community with these projects is really much stronger with um, all voices kind of providing input.
1: Well, the way I think about it is, you know, we've all seen projects that are planned and designed, and, and, and then people don't use them. Right. You know, and often as you, often as you know, sometimes that's because the end user is not necessarily involved in the planning itself. Right. And what they're wanting to see, which is why I think that you know, one of the reasons I'm very passionate about that community engagement because you know it can feel like a check mark, but when you compare it to the usage of the result or the that's outcome. Right you know I think it I think we all honestly in my opinion want to see places that reflect us and to do that like you said you know we can't just ask one segment (laughs) of the community right Hi, I'm Melody Moody-Thortis, and you're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast. You can also hear the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. To hear all our conversations with creative Mississippians, be sure to subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast on your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people living in Mississippi. Today I'm speaking with Leah Kemp, director of the Small Town Center in Starkville, Mississippi. So Leah, um, could you tell our listeners just a little bit more about the history of the Small Town Center and how you have um, progressed and evolved from its beginnings 41 years ago to now
0: sure um so you just said it. we've been around for 41 years and we have been located in the school of architecture and we were really founded by um, the leaders of the school of architecture understanding the need that our communities in the state have for professional services like ours um and really um helping to solve some of these issues that small towns have through research. And so um, our school leaders founded us 41 years ago. And over the years, the work has changed a lot, um, kind of responding to the needs of our state. And in 2003, uh, Fred Carl Jr. um, endowed our center. He was the um, CEO of Viking Range in Greenwood. And so that really made a great impact on our center and allows us to do some work in more communities. But over the years, you know, we, we've focused on architectural projects, planning projects, um, and we've shifted the methodology of our work too. Um, you know, we used to make physical models, now we do those on the computer. You know, our engagement methods have changed as technology has changed. But I'd say kind of our focus now and really, um, our direction moving forward is to um, help communities, help more communities in our state. And so, you know, in my work with the center, I started back in 05, and I've seen a lot of our communities kind of have the same shared challenges. And so, um, you know, my thought is that if we can take a problem that a lot of communities are experiencing, and kind of tackle that problem collectively um, you know, then we can make a, a bigger impact. And so that is what we're trying to do through our research and work now.
1: I just have to ask, cause you're, you're doing so much interesting work with, with data. Do you still, um, when you work with communities, do you still do like put a big map out and everybody kind of works with that too? Or are you doing kind of a combination of both?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, And I guess I could say more so before the pandemic, we're using traditional methods like, you know, using big maps and getting people to draw and write on them. Um, But we're also using some new technology that we've developed with some folks here on campus um, to kind of allow people to come and draw on maps on an iPad. And so, you know, for instance, we're doing a um, bike and pedestrian plan right now and folks can get on the iPad and draw where they'd like to see a bike route or where they'd like to see a sidewalk or perhaps where intersections might be really dangerous. Um, so we're using different technologies, both both old and new. We've even got a huge uh, outdoor projector to be able to go to a community and, <laughs> you know, communicate with them outside on a lawn somewhere. So. We've got to be flexible.
1: So speaking of these outdoor uh, transitions, you were you were telling me a little bit about a kind of a new approach to education in the outdoors. Tell, tell our listeners a little bit more about that work.
0: Yeah, I think the pandemic has really kind of, um, you know, broadened all of our interest in education in some ways, understanding that our kids now in school um, are having to kind of shift gears and learn um through more technology-based means. Um, But we're also obviously understanding that the outdoors is safer. And so whenever we can have an opportunity to gather outside, whether it be in a public space or at a school, um, I think that's something that we've realized is an important um, kind of design project for us to look into and research. And so we're really starting to look at ways that We can provide um, products and design spaces for outdoor classrooms um, that can help uh, advance the education of our students. You know, I've seen in talking with educators these days, um, you know, they're thinking about doing lots of different things outside like, you know, having special needs classes out there. There are lots of you know, health benefits associated with that. Even kids who might have test anxiety might be better off you know, testing in an outdoor environment. And so kind of thinking about how we can start to design those spaces and provide opportunities for um, our classrooms and our, our schools I think is, is a focus of ours right now
1: yeah it's certainly um no one could have guessed how much innovation would be made in classrooms over the past that's year. right i mean talk about a combination like you said of, of outdoor of virtual of you know in person but distanced
0: well yeah um, and even looking at the school buildings the existing buildings themselves you know the cafeterias are now being used as storage areas because You know, the the classrooms don't have enough space for all the students to be socially distanced. So, you know, they're having to kind of move some of that ancillary um, stuff in the room to the cafeteria. So really thinking about how all of these spaces can be kind of temporarily um, redesigned, but also thinking about the long-term benefits of these outdoor spaces and what they can do for our schools and our communities is really... Um, been an exciting kind of focus of ours recently.
1: Well, I'm, I'm interested as you are, uh, from a, from a planning perspective uh, to see what sticks, you know, um, in the long-term changes that are made and really, you know, collectively having spent a year refocusing, um, you know, what's important, how we spend our time Mm -hmm. and what that looks like. Um, has been really interesting to me. I know this is a small example, but I was thinking the other day about shaking hands and how that has really changed, <laughs> That's right. you know, over or in the South, you know, we hug to greet and um, just kind of thinking about that as an example of how we've really transitioned yeah. and what that will look like.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> just a, a lot of changes. <laughs>
1: Um, So, something that I'm personally really passionate about, and I would love to hear more about, is the idea of community leaders understanding um, more about their own public design and the interests of their community. Um, I know for me, like, in my background of advocacy, I am interested in people having more of a voice in what I call people-powered public planning. And a lot of that has to do with conversations with um, elected leaders. And I know that you have done some work educating community leaders. Could you talk a little bit more about your
0: work in that realm? Sure, I mean, I think that um, we've done a number of different kind of projects of the years to kind of help educate elected leaders about the built environment. Um, and why that's important. Um, You know, we often kind of gather with the Mississippi Municipal League at their annual convention and um, talk to elected leaders that way. And we've also hosted some design seminars throughout the state um, to do the same thing. But, you know, I think the important thing um, through all of those uh, seminars is really not just educating elected leaders about what design and kind of what um, planning can do for their community, but um, not just from, you know, an aesthetic standpoint. You know, we highly focus our work on providing economic value and really showcasing how those two things are linked. Um, And so we kind of try and educate leaders in a number of different ways, through seminars, um, through, through other means as well.
1: Well, um, if you would tell our listeners where they can learn more about the small town center and how they might be engaged with you, uh, with the struggles that they may be facing or the solutions that they may want to brainstorm about solving.
0: Sure, we'd love for anybody to contact us. Um, Even if you just kind of have a basic question about how we might be able to help you, you can contact me directly. Our information is on our website, smalltowncenter.msstate.edu, or you can follow us on social media to see progress of our work or projects that you might be interested in.
1: I'm Melody Moody-Thortis, and you're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast. You can also hear the show on MPV Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. To hear all our conversations with creative Mississippians, be sure to subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast on your favorite podcasting app.